everyone have a handout. Okay, good deal. All right, good to see you this evening. Hope that you're all doing well. My, what a privilege it is to be here. So good to see all of you. And Tim, thank you so much for that, your, your kindness. And love, love Tim and Nancy so very much. And I know they mean so much to this congregation here. So good to see just the, the littles and see Jerry back there and back here and Paul and just everyone. It, it's so good to see you. Nathan, good to see you. Love you and your family and just God bless all of you tonight. Bring you greetings from the uh, city of Winfield, big city of Winfield. And uh, we, have a, we have a time. Got sad news today, though. I mean, just broke my heart. Just really tore me up. Uh, they've canceled Mule Day for this year, not having it. And, uh, you know, whenever you have something as big as a Mule Day in your city, I mean, that's that big shenanigans right there. <laughs> and then not to have it, I mean, it's just going to leave a hole in my heart, I know that. <laughs> but uh, we'll have it even bigger next year, and so if you're in and around the Winfield area the end of September, come on by and we'll have a big Mule Day, Friday and Saturday, and it's just wonderful, wonderful. Um, like I said, it's so good to see you and appreciate appreciate you and I appreciate this congregation so very much. Really, really do. Beacon of light for so many to see, so many to be helped, and so many to be encouraged and keep up the good work that you're doing uh, because it's, it's noticed and I appreciate it very much. Proud to have Polly with me this evening. If you've not met my wife, please meet her and let her be blessed with your friendship and that will be a blessing for us. <clears throat> We have got, uh, let's see, let me get the PowerPoint going here. And if you have, if you have uh, an outline and everyone has an outline, we will use the outline in conjunction with the PowerPoints. And that way we'll have at least, you know, a couple of senses in regard to the study tonight. We're talking about an important subject and that is uh, uh, the life of David. I love the life of David. And when you think about the life of David, there are so many things that we can do, so many, so many things that we can see uh, that uh, it's just hard to really identify what we're going to identify, what we're going to include, what we're going to not touch on in a, any, any particular given subject. He's one of the most interesting uh, characters in the Bible. In fact, there is much that is written about him. We're coming up with a PowerPoint? Good. Will this monitor be on his way Okay, good deal. We'll wait just a minute and that'll come up. And so we'll have that. While we're doing that, uh, you know, there's a, a great statement made by the, uh, by, by the New Testament writer. Paul was preaching in Acts 13. What an amazing sermon there. Uh, fantastic. He gives uh, so many things in regard to the history of Israel, then the condition of the day, and then future uh, expectations of the Lord. And there in Acts 13, beginning in verse number 22 and going down through verse number 23, and, and especially right there in the first section, we'd call it point number one of his sermon, he calls to attention the life example or the example of David in the Old Testament. That's verse number 22. You remember the statement, you know. He referred to David and he said he was, and he is a man after God's own heart. Now, that's an interesting statement. I mean, that is full of all kinds of things that we can learn. Because we first of all say, well, was David a perfect man? Absolutely. And who among us is? But, but we understand that he did not wallow in sin or stay in sin. He, he, he stood back up. He went to God. He addressed the sin problem in his life. And he moved on for bigger and better days. That's the way we deal with sin. We, we, don't, we don't let it overcome us, but rather... 
we deal with it in a godly manner. Now, when we think about his heart being like the heart of God, a man after God's own heart, their, their hearts in conjunction or are assimilated together, uh, when we learn about David's heart, that will give us more information about God's heart and we can emulate those same qualities and characteristics in our own life so that we can strive to be what the Bible calls as godly. So think about the heart for just a minute. You might even finish these statements. Matthew 5 verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Uh, one might be a little bit more difficult, but Romans 6.17, Paul said, Thanks be unto God that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Matthew 6, verse 21, Where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be also. We know the heart is an important thing. Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And so, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. I, I like Philippians 4, verse 7. There Paul said, uh, um, he said, The peace of God that passeth all understanding shall guide your heart and mind. It will guard your heart and mind. Keep, the King James Version says. Uh, I love Proverbs 4.23. Uh, Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so therefore from the beginning to the end of the Bible, we see that the heart is a major consideration. Now, David's heart was important. Uh, did you know that uh, there's uh, only one person in the Bible that had more written about him than David? Uh, the one that has more written about him than David would be Jesus. And then the, the second one that has the volume written about them is David. 66 chapters in the Bible. Uh, are focused on David. There's a lot there for us to know. And so that's why I say that we have to really kind of pick and choose what we're, what we're, dealing, what we're dealing with so that we can come to a better understanding of it. So tonight as we talk about David, a man after God's own heart, uh, we're going to be looking at it from uh, at least a couple of perspectives. Three, in fact. Uh, he's a good-hearted servant. And we will focus in on three Old Testament passages from 1 Kings. Uh, we'll begin in chapter 9, then chapter 11, then chapter 14, and see how statements made about David in regard to his heart give us those qualities and characteristics that will help us to understand God's heart better, thus striving to be, to be godly, we can be in more in tune with what God wants from us and what God wants in our life. You heard the story about the teacher, the kindergarten teacher, that was helping one of her students put his boots on at the end of the day. You heard about that? I'll tell you. Uh, so she's pushing and he's pulling and the boots, I mean, it's just, it's tough going. They're having a tough time to get the boots on. And finally, finally, through a great amount of effort and breaking a sweat, they, they got the boots on and, and he said, teacher, they're on the wrong feet. Sure enough, she looked down and they were on the wrong feet. <laughs> getting them off again was no easier task than getting them on. And so finally she got them off, got them back on the, on the right feet after breaking a good lathery, lathery sweat. And he said, these aren't my boots. <laughs> well, uh, 
she bit her tongue, and she then went about pulling the boots back off again. And oh, it was just tough going, and she finally got the boots back off his feet. And well, he said, uh, he said, these are my brother's boots. My mother made me wear them this morning. <laughs> she didn't know whether to laugh or cry at that point. <laughs> so she, she goes putting the boots back on and, and finally got the boots back on and said, now where are your mittens? He said, I stuffed them in the end of my boots. <laughs> well, you know, helping people can sometimes, <laughs> that's funny right there. That's funny. That's kind of funny. But nonetheless, I think it illustrates the fact that Sometimes helping people, uh, we can get frustrated. You know, I mean, there are frustrations in, in helping people. And I wonder, Dave, I, I wonder if David ever trying to be king and, and trying to do what was right and live well, I wonder if he ever got frustrated. I wonder if his heart was ever broken. I wonder if he just, you know, ever got to the point where he just, you know, kind of had the dropsy as, as it goes. You know, that, I mean, you know, his countenance fell or his heart fell. And... Uh, so it's times like this that we look into people's lives and see what carries them along and see what we can then assimilate into our lives to help us to be just a little bit better, to be a bright and shining light, and to help those, help those around us and try not to get frustrated. So that's kind of where we're going this evening. So we're going to look at it from these three perspectives. David, a good-hearted servant. What were the qualities about David that qualified him for being a man after God's own heart. Well, let's look at the first one. The first one is this. Um, David had integrity of heart. In other words, we would say that David, he was the integrity of a servant's heart. I love this first verse. Notice in 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse number 4. And if thou shalt walk before me, now God is talking to Solomon. The temple has just been finished, and God has made his appearance to Solomon, and he's telling Solomon what to do, how to live, and where to go. And so he says to Solomon, If thou shalt walk before me, as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments. He goes on in verse number 5 to say, And then I will... He talks about the blessings that he'll give into David's life, or rather Solomon's life. If he will be like his father David and live and walk in the integrity of the heart. You know the word integrity is very important because it's used in Scripture 16 times. You'll find the word integrity 16 times in Scripture, but it's only used in regard to three people, three men. Three men are said to be men of integrity in Scripture. One is in Genesis 20. Remember old king Abimelech? Uh, when Abram and Sarah came to visit and instead of Abimelech taking Sarah from, from Abram, he, he, he doesn't do that and he, he practices reservation, he practices, he practices discipline and God says of him there in Genesis chapter, chapter 20 and verse number 50, he commends Abimelech for having integrity. Second person is Job. Job chapter 2, there's two times that Job is said to be a man of integrity. First of all, God says he's a man of integrity. And secondly, remember when Job's wife said, curse God and die. Are you still going to maintain and hold on to your integrity? Well, that's where, that's where Job was living. 
He was a man of integrity. But number three, we have David here. He's a man of integrity. And the word integrity is very important because this word simply has to do with the understanding of David's personal life. Character and integrity are different words. Character, well, that's who we are. Characteristics. Integrity is how long will, how long will we hold on to those qualities. Character talks about information. Integrity talks about endurance or perseverance. In other words, if someone says, well, you know that person, well, they're friendly, and that's one of their characteristics. Now, integrity will identify how long during their life will they be friendly, or will they abandon it ever and give up on it or choose to be unfriendly in certain cases. You, you see what's going on there between those two words. And yet David here, he's one that holds on to his integrity. And this becomes a, a perfect understanding of his personal life and especially revealed in the Psalms. Okay, let's see how this, this integrity of David's heart is revealed in the various Psalms. Let's go and notice number one here that David, he had integrity of the heart because we see in the Psalms that he had, first of all, openness of heart. Openness of heart. Psalm 26, 1 and 2, listen to these verses. Judge me, this is David speaking, judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me and try my reins and my heart. David is inviting the Lord to come into his life and take a look. Now the background of Psalm 26 is 2 Samuel chapter 2 through 4. Now the scene in 2 Samuel chapter 2 through 4 is this. Um, David is king and his nemesis or his enemy is Saul. Saul has been the one, you know, that's hunted him like a wild animal and treated him in all kinds of ways. And, and, and this is what's going on. Um, there are two servants um, in David's entourage, Rechab and Benah, or Benay. And, and these two servants, they think one day... Uh, we're going to do our king, our, our, our King David, we're going to do him a service. So they sneak out of the kingdom and go to the kingdom of Israel and they enter into Ishbosheth's house. Now, Ishbosheth is the son of Saul, who was David's enemy. And they enter, they sneak into the house and and they find Ishbosheth lying on the bed, and so they jump on him, they stab him in the stomach and kill him, and then they cut off his head, put it in the back, and take it back to David. And here they are in 2 Samuel chapter 4, and they're saying, David, look, we have killed the son of your enemy. We have done this for you, O our king. And David says, what? I didn't tell you to do this. There was no order, no command, there was no imperative, there was no instruction that came from me to tell you to do this. Why have you done this? And so when you come to Psalm 26, David is crying out to God and he's saying, God, will you look into my life and examine me and when you do, you will realize I didn't have anything to do with this terrible deed. In other words, what David is saying is this. You can open me up like a book and see whatever you desire. You know, folks, that's, that's the way I want to be. I don't want any skeletons in my closet. I'm not hiding anything. 
I'm not going to choose to be mysterious, you know, or secretive. I, I don't want any of that because, hey, hey, after all, I'm Mark Posey, and what you see is what you get. I, I want there to be transparency with us. Kind of like the song, do you remember singing the song, There's an All-Seeing Eye Watching and it's watching you. I remember as a kid singing that and thinking, oh, I'm scared to death. You know? <laughs> I can see that, that eye being mama's eye, you know, and mama saw everything. Well, well, God is watching, and he sees everything, doesn't he? God, look into my life. I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm, like, I'm not like Jonah that I want to run from the presence of the Lord. I'm like, not, like, not like Moses that want to bury my, my dastardly deeds in the ground. That's not me. David had integrity. And he had, first of all, openness of heart. Now, there's a second thing that we see here in the Psalms concerning David, this integrity. And we see the number two, he had not only openness of heart, but number two, he had brokenness of heart. And it simply just doesn't... Can you all advance it for me? Okay. And that way I won't have... So, secondly, secondly, we have brokenness of heart. Okay, listen to this verse. Psalm 51, verse 17 the sacrifices of God are of a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise. Now, you know the background of Psalm 51, don't you? Psalm 51, Psalm 32 have the background in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. That's where David, he sinned with Bathsheba, and Bathsheba is now, she's with child, and, and to cover up the sin in which David and Bathsheba had engaged. He brings Uriah back from the front line and tries to get him drunk and tries to send him down to his house. And when none of this happens, he, he then writes a letter sending it back to Joab, the, the general at the front line, saying that when you're in the thick of the battle, everyone that is standing around Uriah retreat, leaving him there on the front line, and he's killed. Well, David, problem solved. You see, that's, that's the background to Psalm 51. And, and when David, in that nine-month period of sin bearing down upon his shoulders, he sings about it. He's suffering. And that's when he sings about a brokenness of heart. Where there is brokenness and contrition, there will be cleansing and forgiving if the person is desiring to be a, a man or a woman after God's own heart. When the, when the Jews in Jerusalem heard the sermon of Peter, they said in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, after having been pricked in their heart, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, the text tells us there was about how many that did exactly what Peter told them to do. About 3,000. David, he was a man after God's own heart because not only was he a man of integrity, which included openness and brokenness, but number three, we see that he was a man that was, he was truthful. There was truthfulness in his heart. This is contributing to the, the integrity that is mentioned there in 1 Kings 9 and verse number 4. Psalm 15, 1 and 2. I love this psalm. Oh, it's powerful. Because many psalms you have questions asked. Now, listen to these questions. Psalm 15, 1 and 2. 
He says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle and who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Now listen to that. Lord is the question. Who can, who can, who can be in your tabernacle? In other words, who, who's accepted into your tabernacle? And who, who can dwell on your holy hill? Pretty good questions. Now, the good thing about it is we don't have to look around to find the answers because the answers are given in the very next statement of this psalm. Listen to what he says. He says, He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Speaketh the truth in his heart. Are you anything like me? Isn't a liar about the worst thing that you can ever encounter? That's, that's just terrible. David was a man after God's own heart, which meant he had integrity of heart. And he was a man of truthful, truthfulness. So, he's depicted here in regard to this worthy worshiper... This worthy worshiper, that in Psalm 51 and verse number 6, that God wants truth in the inner parts, and he's going to be characterized as the man after God's own heart. Have you sang lately? I love the songs, and it's a little bit older, and I, I, I hope you've sung it lately. Lord, we come before thee now. Isn't that an awesome thought? Okay, David, he was a man that had a servant's heart, which meant he had integrity. He had openness of heart. He was transparent. He had brokenness of heart, which means he had contrition. He also had truthfulness of heart, but there's a fourth thing. He had holiness of heart. Holiness of heart. We go back to the Psalms, Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Listen to these verses. Once again, questions, and the answers are given, so listen to these questions. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Now, here's the psalmist, David, asking, Lord, who can ascend to the, to the, to the hill of the Lord? Who will be accepted on your hill, Lord? And who's the one that can stand in your holy place? And once again, we don't have to look far because the answers are given in the next few statements. He says, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath lifted up, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor swore deceitfulness. So integrity of heart has to do with this sense of the sense of holiness. I, I, I'm going to see that my relationship with God is not some flippant not some just serendipitous, it's not spontaneous, it is something in which I'm going to invest and I'm going to give it the greatest amount of respect that it deserves. I want my relationship with God through Jesus Christ to be characterized by the word holy. Psalm 51 verse number 10, David cried out this way. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Okay, we've looked first of all at these 
four characteristics of integrity. That's the first thing that is involved in this man that was after God's own heart. But that's not all because number two, here we look at the fact that David, he was a man that had the maturity of a servant's heart. That's the second point. The maturity of a servant's heart. We can go on to the next slide. On to the next slide. There's the maturity of the servant's heart. Now, look in 1 Kings 11 and verse number 4. Once again, God is speaking to Solomon and David becomes the example. Listen to this verse. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart, turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. Well, we know the story of Solomon. He had a lot of influence, you know. There were wives and concubines, and they turned his heart away from God, and that's the way he finished his life. But now, David, oh, he had a lot of influences, but he did not do as Solomon had done. And so, therefore, it is said here, he had a heart that was perfect. Now, the word perfect here is very interesting because it does not denote flawlessness. It's not dealing with sinlessness or sinless. The word perfect here is the word that denotes maturity. It, it, it talks about here that this, this finished or this whole product, it depicts the maturity of David's spiritual life. You know, God wants grown-ups, doesn't he? Now, he gives us opportunity to grow and develop and mature, but what does God want us to become? He wants, to, he wants, wants us to grow up, to be grown-up spiritual children of his. That's what he wants. Now, so many times in the New Testament we have seen where there has been a falter or a difficulty in regard to this spiritual maturity. Remember when Paul, 1 Corinthians 3, he wanted to speak to the Corinthians as one spiritual adult to a, another, and he said, I couldn't do it. He said, because they were carnal. What's the word carnal mean? Anybody? What? Worldly, yes, worldly, immature. Something that is the opposite of spiritual growth and maturity. He said, I just couldn't talk to them. I mean, they, were, they had their hearts and minds set on other things than that which was right with God. Now, still, still the same case. When you go to the book of Hebrews chapter 5, there in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 12, there is the description of these folks that should have been at a greater point of maturity. He said, for when for the time that you ought to be teachers, you have need of someone teaching you again the first principles or the first oracles of God. You have need of, uh, of milk and not meat. Now, we expect maturity in our children, don't we? Grandchildren, we want them to grow up and grow strong. We, we, don't, want, we don't want them to have diapers all their life. Infinitely greater do we see and, and, and recognize the necessity of spiritual growth in the body of Christ. Think about that, that element of Hebrews. Those folks, they, they were troubled. Chapter 2, verse 1 says they were slipping away. Chapter 3, verse 13 says they were giving in to the deceitfulness of sin. Chapter 5, and verse number 11 said they had become dull of hearing. Well, also, when we think about what led to all of that, chapter 2, verse 3 said they were neglecting salvation. Chapter 3, verse 12 said they had hardened their hearts because of unbelief. Chapter 5 and verse number 12, their spiritual growth had ceased and stopped altogether. So what did these people need the most? 
Well, chapter 2 and verse number 1, they needed to give the more earnest heed to the things which they had heard. Chapter 3, verse 13, they needed to exhort one another daily while they had the opportunity. And chapter 5 and verse number 14, they needed to have their senses exercised so that they could, they could practice discernment and see the difference between good and evil. My, don't get me on a soapbox because, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put one foot up on my soapbox for just a minute, okay, and then take it right back down. Why does it seem that the cumulative effort of so many in our world is going to the point that they don't recognize the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, sin and salvation anymore? It, okay, there's my soapbox. <laughs> oh, and our world needs a greater dose of discernment. To see the, that, the vast difference between the two. Sin and salvation have nothing to do with one another. Now, when you come back and you think of David, David was the man, he had this perfection, this maturity. He had grown up. Now, was he free from mistakes? No. But he was able to deal with the situations of life in a godly manner. He didn't wallow in sin when he was down. When he was down, he didn't give up. He got up. And he kept on moving. Now, in regard to this, there's, there's a couple of things that I want you to notice. What is the description of this maturity, this maturity of this servant's heart? What are the qualities and characteristics, okay? I've got three. Number one. When one has this maturity of a servant's heart, this perfection, it will be seen, first of all, in the perfection of their walk. Now, walk in the Bible oftentimes will depict behavior, quality, actions, how we live. So here's the perfection of walk. Okay, Psalm 101 and verse number 2. Listen to this. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when thou wilt come unto me, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Okay, what's that saying? See, David was anointed king three times. Three times. First of all, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel kind of gave a foreshadowing of the anointing and picking him from among the, the, the sons of Jesse and, and they're kind of a foreshadowing of what he would become. That's the first time. The second time is in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 4 and there he is put as king over the tribe of Judah. But then the third time we see in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse number 3 where he is put king or anointed king over all the tribes of Israel. But it's between the first and the second anointing the first anointing in 2 Samuel chapter 2, the second anointing in 2 Samuel chapter 5, where obviously David did a lot of thinking. There was a, a daunting task that was facing him, and, and, and he spent a lot of time in preparation mentally, probably soul-searching about what was yet to come. I'll tell you this. Come this Sunday... If everything goes well, I'll be appointed as an elder of the Lord's church. And I've been doing a lot of soul searching. 
One elder, and he's sitting in this audience right now, one, once told me, he said, when you become an elder, that takes on a, that takes on a brand new, brand new outlook of life. I can't even imagine becoming king, even though an elder is greater than a king. But I, I have come in tune with a lot of the soul searching and a lot of the thinking that David, he said there in Psalm 101, verse number 2, he said, I walk within my house in a perfect, in a perfect way or in a perfect heart. David knew that it had to begin at home. He had to be king in home before he could ever be king of Israel. For if it didn't work at home, it wouldn't work in the kingdom. There's a couple of good memories and conclusions that I've drawn from my upbringing. And I'm not trying to brag about my parents, but I, I love them as you love yours. But there are two things that really stand out in my life about the upbringing that I had in a preacher's home. And I really didn't grasp it until I made my own home and then became a preacher and then started looking at my own children to really, really kind of see what they were experiencing. And then I began to understand a little bit better. Because in growing up, I never, ever, ever saw, heard, are new of my mother and father having a fight, an argument, or a disagreement. I know that they did. But it never happened where I could see it. And I'm thankful for that. But the second thing that really kind of stands out in my mind is the man... You see, I, I grew up and... My preacher was my daddy. Now, there's some here that know what that's about, what that's like. But not, not many people, just a very few. Imagine your daddy being your preacher. That's a whole new set of things to live with. But the man that I saw in the kitchen and on the lawnmower in the yard and on the fish bank, planting the garden in the tree stand, the one that I went with football games with was the same man that I saw in the pulpit. And I saw the importance of wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, make sure that how you are in your home and how you are in public harmonize. Because folks, aren't people watching and the first people that are watching are our family and then our friends and those that we encounter. And David said, if it doesn't work at home, I can never be king. So what I'm going to do and continue doing, I'm going to be the man of God at home so that I can be the man of God on the throne. Now that's the first thing. But now there's the second thing here. Perfection of walk, but number two, there's the perfection of worship. Okay, listen to Psalm 9 and verse number 1. The perfection of worship, Psalm 9 and verse number 1. David says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. 
I like that. I, I think what David is saying is this. God, when I worship you, I'm not going to hold anything back. You get my eyes and my ears. You get my mouth, my hands, my feet. You get my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind. You get everything, God, because after all, look what you've done for me. And for me to be able to give you my all, there's the maturity of heart. Listen to Psalm 86 and verse number 12. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forever. Psalm 111 and verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Now, here we see in these three Psalms that David, he's expressing his adoration. He's expressing his thanksgiving. He's expressing his praise. And there is no reservation. There is no hesitation. He's not holding anything back. And I'm convinced that that is what Jesus is talking about when he in that very familiar verse said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. Whatever's going on and out, out in the world, and there's only two things that everybody's talking about right now, right? Race relations and health concerns. But now, when it comes to worship, those things don't matter. Because I'm going to give God my all. I'm going to worship Him in spirit. I'm going to worship Him in truth also. And I'm going to do what He wants done the way He has Prescribed. Case closed. And here's David pouring out everything because he had perfection of worship. Then number three, he had perfection of words. Now, quickly, as we move on, Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3 is my favorite psalm. In fact, every Bible that I own, every Bible, you know that ribbon you get in the Bible? Every Bible I, I have, the ribbon is at Psalm 40. In fact, I keep some things there at Psalm 40 that I want to, to always keep and remember. Uh, let me just share one of them with you. This is cute. I mean, this is wonderful. This uh, little Hannah drew me a picture, and it's a picture of SpongeBob SquarePants. Now, SpongeBob has a Bible in his hand, okay? And this is the caption. The preacher, SpongeBob, which is Mark Posey, and he is great. You don't think I'm going to throw that away? Never. Psalm 40. Listen to what it says. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. Now, I believe Psalm 40 is when David is singing about the time that he was being hunted like a wild animal by Saul. And he feels like he's sinking. He feels like everything is closing in around him. He feels like he doesn't have any stability in his life. It's kind of like we would say, I feel like I'm being pulled in every direction. And he said, I cried out to the Lord, and he heard me. And what did he do? He said, he lifted me up. He hath lifted me up and established my going, put my feet upon a rock, and then this. And he hath put a new song in my mouth. When I'm happy, I sing. I can only imagine what a new song given to me by God would sound like. Okay. 
the last thing in this text. And that is we've looked at the integrity of, of David's heart by talking about, uh, first of all, his integrity and then his maturity. But the last thing, number three, is that David, he was a man after God's own heart because he had fidelity of a servant's heart. Okay, First Samuel 14 and verse number 3, or, or first, first, Sam, first Kings 14 verse number 8 uh, he's not talking to Solomon anymore. He's now talking to Jeroboam. But he's talking to Jeroboam about David. Okay? This is what he says. And rent the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to thee. And yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do that which was right in my eyes. Now, I like in that text where David is described. He's described as following me, and that indicates going after and suggests to us the fidelity of David's life, his practical life from day to day. So this fidelity expresses itself, no doubt, in David's allegiance and his obedience. So that's number one. That is the allegiance of David when we go back to the Psalms. Okay, Psalm 86 and verse number 11. Listen to this about David's allegiance. Teach me thy way, O God, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear, to fear thy name. Don't we understand that true allegiance springs from a heart that is united to know God's way, to walk in his truths, and to fear his name? I mean, that's allegiance. In other words, David is saying this, God, come what may you can count on me. I hope every child of God can say that every day of their Christianity. I think about back in Genesis 22 when Abram has taken Isaac, his son, to the mountains of Moriah and they're ascending up and Isaac it doesn't seem as though he knows everything that is going on and what is yet to come. He keeps asking questions, doesn't he? Well, here's the, here's the, the wood and the fire, but where's the sacrament? You know, he keeps asking questions, you know. Abram, no doubt, he knows what's, what's yet to come, doesn't he? Don't you imagine his feet like, felt like they were encased in concrete every time he took a step up that mountain? But there is something. Next time you have some time to read Genesis 22, read it from this perspective. Three times in that chapter, there is the description of Abram and Isaac walking together. Chapter, six, uh, chapter 22, verse 6, verse 8, and verse 19. Boy, you're talking about some, some trying times. And it says they walked on together. They went on together. It, it, it's as though here is Abram and his son. And what's yet to come. They're doing it together. Oh, isn't it wonderful to be back together in a greater capacity within the Lord's church? We've gone through, through some trying times, haven't we? But folks, I, I'm convinced it's going to make us better and stronger. I see that. But folks, there's nothing like being together 
Okay, allegiance. Number two, there we see David's obedience to God. This is his fidelity. Okay, Psalm 40 in verse number 8. Listen to this. I delight to do thy will. This is David speaking. I delight to do thy will. O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. I know there's one thing in my life as a Christian. Many things, but one thing that I need to capitalize upon more. And that is studying the Bible. I hope over the last few months this quarantine has produced more than just my knowledge of what's on Netflix. Or that my yard looks better than it has ever looked. And if that's, if that, that's great, but I hope I've used this time Wisely, but I hope the wisest use of my time has been in drawing closer to God. Okay, we close with this. We go back to the book of Acts. There in Acts 13 and verse number 22 is the statement that David was a man after God's own heart. And when I read that statement, I am encouraged. But there is a statement following that that lifts me up that, that tells me that verse number 23 is even better. <laughs> I love this. Because you see verse number 23. David is depicted as the one whose life God would reveal his son to a world that was in desperate, desperate need. Not a perfect man. But he was a man that came to God each and every time the way God prescribed. And so, he was the one through whom Jesus would come into the world. Now, that one in itself makes me want to be even more like David, a man after God's own heart. Thank you for your attention this evening. Let's close with a prayer, please. Father, we thank you for everything that you give us we thank you for the time that we can be here this evening. And Father, study from your marvelous, majestic word. Father, thanks for everything that you have done for us, everything that you're doing for us, and everything that we can anticipate for all of these things, Father, both material and spiritual. We're, we're, we're eternally thankful. We're, we're full of gladness. We're full of appreciation. But Father, uh, uh, the one thing of which we expressed the greatest amount of appreciation that there is nothing any better, any closer in our gratitude than this. And that is, Father, we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, and amen. Thanks for your time.